Welcome back to the Mobile Home Investing Lessons Podcast with your host, John Fedro. Tune in weekly, plus listen to past episodes designed to make you money, save you time, and give you confidence as an active mobile home investor. Now, here's your host, John Fedro. <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> oh all right i like that we all do what we have to do that's right okay (laughs) welcome back everyone to the mobile home investing lessons podcast this is episode number 22 can you believe it already thank you so much for being here robin and mike Uh, are you both here yes we're here we're here mike Thank you. All right. This is awesome. We're having a good time already. Uh, This uh, podcast, uh, I think is so cool. Uh, We've never done a podcast directly like this. We're not so much going to talk about one topic as we are going to talk about the do's and don'ts. You have a lot of experience in the, you know, the short time that you've been mobile home investing. Actually, we should kind of talk about that real quick, kind of what experience that you do have, just kind of a crash course in that. So people listening understand, you know, who they're who they're listening to um, but then i love that we're going to talk about some of these do's and don'ts so uh enough me talking uh robin and mike if you'd like to just kind of talk a little bit about maybe how long you've been doing uh this particular niche and why should people listen to you and then we'll get into the do's and don'ts because i know you've had some uh really eye-opening huge lessons that you're going to take with you throughout your career so if people can learn these lessons without actually making all the mistakes that you both have gone through um, that's why we're here yeah absolutely john so we do have um several years in real estate investing um mostly wholesaling homes my husband and i just kind of jumped in doing specific mobile home sales um, buy and sell from, since October. And so we've done a total of six um, mobile home transactions. And probably each one of those has been a completely different experience and <laughs> taught us anything and everything that you could go through probably in a year to two year span within about a six month period. And we're going to be talking about. Uh... I mean, a lot, a lot of that right now. I mean, you, you put these, I'm looking at now an email, uh, a really lengthy email of just, you know, a lot of great do's and don'ts all pertaining to these lessons. I mean, really, we're going to go through there with some, some good lessons and some really uh, eye-opening, like emotion-filled uh, times where you were really questioning, you know, what you're doing or this whole process, right? Yeah, there's been a lot of ups and downs. And the thing is that we... Um, it was very important that we both supported each other in this. You know, one of us may just be exhausted with something and, you know, Sean would come in and, and help out and we just support each other and, and be team players and just, Hey, we can do this. Let's get through it. So just keeping that positive attitude and supporting one another has really helped both of us make it through these, these struggles and also these, um, these winning times. So, um, yeah. And I would have to say being able to reach out to you, whether it be via phone or email, any time um, to cry on your shoulder, to express frustration, to run a deal by you, that was really helpful. And because you never made us feel like we were um, bothering you or that you were trying to rush us off a phone call, and that was that was good to know that we had you in our corner, hundred percent. Oh my gosh, of course, especially when you're doing the types of things that you're doing. I mean, getting real-time answers or just real-world answers or to bounce things off of people. I mean, at the very least, um, of course. And, um, you know, moving forward, that that, that is not going to change. All right, now let's go right over into the do's and don'ts. Um, Robin, I'll kind of set you up. Uh, If you'd like to take, you know, start us off, that'd be be great. Okay, that sounds great. So one of the first things that I want to stress here is I, I went through all your mo- modules and I have my own investing experience, but there's a difference between reading on what you should do and actually knowing why you should do it and then experiencing it or doing it. And so oftentimes I would read the modules and then, you know, I would get this wild idea that or something would come across and I would jump on it 
without actually following what you were teaching in the model in the module to a T. And one example is where you say, you know, buy three twos in parks with minimal rehab needed. We happen to and that is something that you should do. And now I understand why, because we had several opportunities where we got three twos in parks and they were free and they were really crappy and we had to do a lot of work. And uh, we kind of got ourselves in a position and got overwhelmed and didn't really know what we were doing, which was not good for us because if we would have stuck to the module and bought a three two in a park with minimal, rehab, we would have been able to move through it faster and more and easier than having to go from square one all the way up to a full rehab, not really knowing what we were doing. So that was a huge eye opener. So purchase a three, two in a park that needs minimal rehab for your first deal. Yeah. For our, um, our first, I would say probably first five deals, um, just because I think it's important to know the basics and to master the basics of talking to a park manager, you know, um, looking for the buyer, um, just making sure the checklist and the house is good before you just completely jump into a rehab. Because when you have to learn everything all at once, um, you, there's a lot more mistakes and a lot more money that can go out the the door than if you were to just, you know, buy the mobile home that's easy to sell, which is a 3-2, that has minimal work needed, which saves you a lot of money, and that can move faster, you know, so you won't accrue holding costs. For, for, for each of these do's or don'ts, I'll play devil's advocate just for the folks listening, because... Um, what you two are both experiencing in your local market is absolutely what you're seeing. I mean, you're you're buying homes, you're able to sell them. There's good demand. It's located uh, in here in tech in Texas, um, is where your market is. Just for people listening, but I want to play sort of devil's advocate to say that three twos. You know, I do. Obviously, I kind of want you know if if uh, for the folks listening, I want you to go with the path of least resistance first. Which you're right. If you're if you sell a home, Robin, that's a three bedroom, it's going to be more desirable than a two bedroom. A four bedroom is usually more desirable than a three bedroom. A two bedroom is usually more desirable than a one bedroom. With that said, if your market doesn't have many three bedrooms or four bedrooms in it, two bedrooms are still valuable, and ones that need work, um, they're still valuable as well. Now you have to buy it at the right price. You have to know. You, I mean, you can get burned by a handyman. You can be burned by not knowing repairs or by doing too many repairs or overpaying. So there's a lot more question marks. There's a lot more areas that you can run into when you have to rehab a home and when it's not a three-bedroom. Just because, obviously, everybody wants a three-bedroom. Not everybody, but most people. Most people want a three-bedroom. Most people want a home that's beautiful. Most people want a property that's like super cheap and, you know, zero down, but obviously they can't get everything. So, I mean, I guess for the folks listening, I, again, just want to be devil's advocate to say that Robin, you absolutely know what you're talking about and that is the way to go. But for, you know, different folks listening, I could see where on your first deal, buying a two bedroom that needs work is a very, you know, a smart way to move forward simply because of all the other options or lack of options in your area. So I just kind of wanted to make that one point that, you know, although we're saying do's and don'ts, it's not written in stone. You know, there, there are reasons why you could want to do a two bedroom or even a one bedroom for your first deal, if it makes sense. But anyway, I'll get off my soapbox and I hope that makes sense for folks. I would like to add to that. Um, one thing I didn't mention is our six deals included two one ones, um, <laughs> two two, and um, three, three twos. And so the reason why I stress that a three two with minimal rehab in a park is, you know, the bomb is because uh, <laughs> when we rehabbed all of them from minor rehab to full blown gut and rehab, and we stepped back and looked at, okay, what moved the fastest? What was the easiest? What was the less headache? It's exactly what you said in your module. It's a three, two in a park with minimal rehab. And so 
if we if you asked us, okay, well, out of all of those, you know, which one did you um, have the best experience with? It would have been our three two with mental rehab, um, and all of those but one, which actually was the three one of the three twos we got for free, were profitable for us. So um, we made it work. Um, and so I don't want to uh, misconceive people that only buy three twos. We we had a great profit on a one one um, that beat one of our three twos. Let me ask you something. What was the difference? And now we're kind of getting off on a little tangent, but that's fun. Uh, what was the difference between one of the you know the the you have two one bedrooms? You said right, two homes that are right. one bedroom homes. We have. What one. are the difference? Mm-hmm. What was the or I'm sorry to interrupt you. The one that was like that, that seemed to sell real easy or this, you know, people wanted to be in versus the one that people didn't want to be in. What for as far as a one bedroom would go, like what will you buy and what won't you buy? You know, um, I was called crazy for buying both the <laughs> one bedrooms that we did because one. Who called you crazy? Mike, is that you? <laughs> did I do it? I think I might have called I you. <laughs> um, one of them was 400 square feet and the other was 924 square feet. Okay. So the, the 400 square foot, it was like a mini mobile. And so, um, we had tons of interest in it, uh, but when I showed them the unrehabbed pictures of it, which it just needed flooring and some painting, everybody turned it down. But the minute we rehabbed it, uh, we sold it in less than a week to actually to another investor. And so um, I would say that if you're going to kind of go off the norm and buy something really little, you need to be really creative in your marketing um, and and really stress this is great for a bachelor, a newly divorced person, a college student, and really focus on the market you're targeting um, or, in this case, to the investor saying this would be a great rental. Um, and so the, the big one one that we bought was the size of a 3-2, actually. And um, it was great for a couple with a, a little kid that could – just have a lot of space. So I really think it's about the marketing. If you're going to go something different than a three, two and just being creative. Great tip. Very good tip. Uh, and you, you know, you should know your area as well. I mean, if people are leaving the, your town and you're buying a one bedroom, you really got to verify and make sure that there are buyers there. But clearly, like I mentioned before, we're in Texas. The area that you're in is solid. There's going to be buyers. So, a two, you know, a one bedroom is, yeah, not out of the question at all. So that's, again, just to kind of give some perspective of different markets around the country. Um, but I love, uh, yeah, really, really good point. Well, what's the next uh, do do or don't? Okay, this is a really, really valuable one. It's probably the the biggest one that we learned. Uh, The do is always get a contract signed with your contractor um, because it it really allows and and make sure that it has details, dates, payment schedules written out um, because it really allows you to stay protected. Do you have – can you tell a story about – exactly what happened maybe that you can if you can emotionally try to you know convey to the folks listening of why that's so important of you know of, of how because you're not you're not dumb people i mean you're very ambitious hardworking. uh you know your stuff so i mean if you were if you have some bad tastes in your mouth due to a contract or a handyman you know if you could tell us about that or what happened i think that might be valuable and then and then now you know moving forward what what you're what you're doing um, yeah, absolutely. Um, we have an incredible story that would probably win us rewards for <laughs> awards for um, being taken <laughs> advantage of, um, being gullible, naive, and actually doing the process correct as well. And it's still blowing up in our face because um, our first contractor that we hired, um, I had known for at least six months going back and forth working um, on similar deals with wholesale housing, although he, we had never contracted with him, we had a relationship established. So we trusted him and put it, all of our mobiles, you know, in his um, in his hands. And he ended up 
walking with $6,600, which was uh, 40% of um, of the main fee that we were going to pay him to rehab our mobiles. And in the process of all of that, because I had a relationship established with them, I wasn't in quite of a hurry to get a contract, and it ended up biting me in my butt because when he walked, all I had was a cash receipt that I gave him that money, and the, so we went to the sheriff's office, and he said, you know, you're basically out of luck because that doesn't mean anything to us. So then we interviewed um, contractors to – fix the things that, you know, this guy was supposed to. And we did it all correct. But um, Mike interviewed uh, this guy and wrote out the contract with a date and how much it was going to be and what all it included. And this guy was a great guy. He looked very professional, um, had all his own tools. He's done other work, other projects in the area, showed us pictures. And so he looked um, very professional. And so I trusted that. And that's why I wanted to move forward and felt confident about it. And he did, he actually did two of one and a half of our homes really nicely, one being the best home we have. And then all of a sudden, he had some family problems. And again, he walked off with 6600 in addition to our first guy. So now we're out, you know, over $12,000 and just left us high and dry. Well, so we, Went to, took him to court, had a contract, and it's pending right now. In the meantime, we we hired this handyman, okay, this good old Bubba boy, to come in and basically save our butt because we were at a deadline now. And he was such a nice guy, and he knew all the stories, and he was doing it on a day rate, and he really took us for a number. He overcharged us, but we were in a bind because we had – people waiting to move into these homes and we did not get a contract um with him because we were like okay we're only going to pay you daily so we were on the job every day you know and that still screwed us because we ended up way overpaying and lastly in the middle of all of this the first original guy after he got served came back and tried to work a deal with us and said, you know, what if I just fix one of these houses for what I owe you? And I said, okay. So this was the saving grace. Not only did I agree to dismiss the case, I got his um, his driver's license, I got his, his license number, I got a contract sign, and um, everything was documented through the court. And he still walked out on us again, and both times he was – caught in Vegas on Facebook, you know, winning six to $8,000, which I'm sure the judge will like to see that picture because we are going to pursue it. And so we learned that it doesn't matter if you interview them. It doesn't matter if you have referrals, if they're a nice person, if they've done even good work for you before, things can go south. And the only thing that can protect you is a detailed contract and pictures of his driver's license and license number, as well as any kind of communication through text messages. Um, because then we also have phone recordings because the he said, she said, and no, we didn't agree on that doesn't fly. And so the rest of the story is to be determined. Um, for people listening, if you're still listening after, after, after hearing <laughs> everything that Robin just said, I appreciate it. And, you know, good for you. Um, there, that is certainly a thread with regards to the, um, maybe it's mobile home folks, uh, or maybe it's, you know, fixing mobile homes, the type of contractors or handymen that we find. I can't attest if this happens in million dollar homes all the time. You know, if, if handymen or contractors are that flaky to everybody. But there is definitely a running theme with these podcasts, some videos in my own business that we get screwed. I mean, people, uh, it's, well, it's, yeah, it's, I'm sure it's people are people. And when you're dealing with handymen or contractors, it's people that may or may not have an education. It's, you know, when things are going good, they're, they show up to work when things are going bad and they need more money, you know, their money's where way more important than your money. And or your their time's way more important than your time. And I 
Normally, I'd like to play devil's advocate, Robin, like we've been doing, where I can say something positive that, no, this doesn't happen everywhere, but it does. People are definitely looking to take advantage of a, of a, of a real estate investor. And it's sadly, it's hard to trust people, even if you have a long-term relationship with them. Now, the longer the relationship, the better that you can trust the person, but it is sort of an ongoing thing. I mean, tips like, I know you had mentioned here in this email that you sent over, something as simple as having them send you pictures every day. If they're doing work to your property and they're sending, you know, if they're doing work, they should take multiple pictures of multiple different angles and send you those pictures every day. If they can't do that and take three minutes to do that, that says more about them than it does about, you know, just, you know, it's kind of like how they do one thing is how they do everything. If they start complaining or if they start being a baby somewhere, if they start changing or be, you know, if they just completely change or they're like, that says a lot. And I think as investors maybe we gloss over that too quickly or uh, it's just we really have to keep open eyes whenever we work with investors and if you're not you really have to know your worth maybe what's natural what's not natural um, or you know what's normal what's not normal but um, I guess now turning the microphone over to you both what are some things that you'll be looking for um, in the person that you hire yeah what's some do's and don'ts with regards to contractors well, it's especially important, I feel, to, to have that detailed contract um, that you both sign, get any kind of documentation from that person, you know, and, and try to establish a rapport before you just jump into it. Because um, you can make a mistake by, oh, I need a contractor right away. I need to get this done. So if there's an urgency that, that could cause some problems in, in selecting your contractor, you know, so I'm looking for uh, somebody who's who's been established for a while, who's licensed to you know, even has a crew. And another thing to keep in mind, if if a contractor wants more than half of your money up front, that's going to tell you that they may not even have operating funds for their own business. Um, that's something to watch out for. If they can operate for at least a week at a time, or excuse me, operate for the first week without asking you for any money, then they've established themselves in the past and, and have some operating costs. And so and just kind of be more aware of, who you're working with, um, important to even ask for references or people who they've done work for in the past and get photographs and, and see what they thought about uh, their work. Yeah, I'd like to add to um, definite, some, some definite dues. Get, take a picture of their driver's license. Uh, take a picture of their business card that has their license on it. And... Um, when a change is made or a clarification on something such as carpet versus vinyl flooring or, or whatever, I would really encourage someone to text it instead of verbally or after you verbally agree, text it to confirm so that you can refer back to because sometimes they may say, no, you didn't tell me that, or you said this, and multiple times I have snapshotted the picture of the text conversation and sent it right back to them. And so then I wasn't, you know, responsible for the mistake. That was really helpful. Um, and just the don'ts, just don't, don't get lazy and think that they won't get one over on you. Um, whether they're your friend, whether they're professional, whether, you know, they're family, just keep it business and keep it straight line. And if you can even be out on the project every day, um, you know, that I've done that a few times, and that definitely boosted the productivity um, on the mobile home because uh, I've noticed a difference with, after a few days had gone by. I was like, you know, this doesn't make sense. Somebody could do this within a few hours where they may have taken, you know, six to eight hours to do it. So being on, on the project yourself can help productivity if you have the time to do it. Uh, and even talking with some of the crew members, if they do have other people working with them, kind of develop a rapport with them too because they can kind of talk and fill you in on how their boss operates and say, oh, yeah, he's a great guy to work with or he's, you know, he's, um, he's good with his money. He knows about the material. He knows how everything. Or they may say, you know, I don't know, I've only – seen you know not provide much information that he's not trustworthy or no he doesn't pay us on time or uh, he really don't doesn't know what he's doing he has to youtube projects to figure out how to do it which which we, we have that. yeah our, our handyman had the youtube on how to you know put um acoustic ceiling or mud on, on drywall so 
um, talk to the crew. I think they can give you more of a perspective about their boss and who you hired to do these projects. Great tips all around. Um, the, you know, it, it just shows the type of the person that you're dealing with. If you're dealing with a, it's, you know, being in this business now for over a decade and being in real estate, you just see the people that are BS artists and the people that know what they're talking about. And it's night and day. If you've never talked to both and there's a spectrum, you know, the real good BS artist on one end and then the, you know, the person that actually knows what they're talking about and can like easily spit off, you know, Oh, this is because of this and this, and we can probably do this and this and this to fix it. Or maybe this, like there's two different worlds there of education, of knowledge, um, and some people, the people that know more, maybe they want to get paid more. Maybe they're usually busier. Maybe you have to find or hunt them or you have to ask the right people. Uh, park managers, I get a lot of good handyman referrals to. I like using now, most of my handy people are my own tenant buyers. And that's because I know them. I trust them. They may have to go on uh, YouTube to, you know, research how to do things, but they're, they, 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 they do quality work. I mean, they're not going to present something to me that's like half-assed. So I'd like to go over these kind of bullet points that you mentioned about those, about the contractors or handymen um, that you both mentioned, Mike and Robin. You said, hey, get a contract. Absolutely. Build rapport with, with, with the a handyman or contractor before doing the job don't be rushed i mean what's it going to cost another month's lot rent you know what do you have you know just a couple hundred bucks that's well worth it if you have to pre-screen a couple handymen you know one month's holding cost um yeah don't be rushed absolutely oh, one more thing is to just clarify sure. if their bid includes materials because mm. My my thinking is when somebody gives me a bid, it always includes materials. And what we found the norm in our area is that that bid did not include materials. And so um, that's a, a game changer, you know, when when we are talking money. Well, would you say that? Well, so do you want the bids without the material or are with the material? It would be better. To, it'd be better to have the material, uh, have a broken out labor and material. But uh, some of these had come across as well. Our labor for all of this, um, but you're going to have to supply the material. So that that takes time and, and money out of our pocket of having to, say, run to Home Depot or Lowe's or something to get any little small part to, to keep them working. It's just it's easier and less stressful on us if you have a contractor who can supply both labor and material um, than for us to spend our day when we've got other things to do um, than getting material. As long as they can keep it, keep it separate because contractors or handymen will, if you give them the power to go buy things, they're going to upcharge you for uh, material. They're going to buy stuff. They're going to return it. They're not going to use all of it or they're going to use it for other jobs that they, that they have going on. Mm -hmm. Keep it separated. Keep it where you can see the labor and they can't hide anything in that bid. Like, just give me the labor. And then you can say, you plan it. It takes you 10 hours to fix this hole in the floor. No, that's wrong. And you, mm -hmm. plus you want 30 bucks an hour. No, that's wrong. So when it's just labor and it's, and it's itemized per job, ideally, you can kind of tell based on the handyman, how long they think it's going to take them, which if they're, they've been doing this for a while, you know, it should be a logical number. So if, if they do buy materials, just make sure to have receipts, make sure you verify the material was bought, um, and make sure that you can really find out how much the labor is because, uh, yeah, and everyone that's listening, make sure you get bids without the material at least. Get a bid with the material and without the material, but definitely just see how much they're charging you for labor. Yeah, that, um, that's a good point. We, we actually did both, um, and I saw one of our contractors kind of slyly put a tool that was going to be his into, you know, what we paid at Home Depot, and I confronted him on it, and it caught him off guard. Um, and so from that point on, he knew I was watching with Hawkeyes, and he really, you know, was very conscious about it. But that can happen, and it does happen when they know you're not looking. Oh, it absolutely does. 100%. I know it's happened to me when I wasn't looking. Um, yeah, because I've definitely not looked in the past or been too trusting. Absolutely happened. And it 
it's actually happened. Yeah, it's a couple of stories that I have that are just huge slaps in the face. I mean, people there, and they just justify it to themselves. Handymen will, you know, oh no, I'm doing it. They they owe me that, or ah, mm-hmm. I did this for them, so they didn't. You know, I didn't tell them about it, but now nah, it all washes off in the, you know, it all washes out in the end, and blah blah blah. No, it's like no, you that yeah, I know what you're talking. Uh, you said references before, Mike. I think that was a good one. And call those references. Have them send pictures. What did you think about the people? Will you hire them again? It takes 90 seconds. You know, call those references. And if they won't provide them for you, that sounds a little, you know, suspect of why they won't provide them. Licenses, even if they don't have licenses, because I mean, I, uh, you know, if you don't use people that aren't completely licensed, uh, I'm not here to judge you, but make sure that kind of to read their demeanor about licensing. If they're if they're so confident that they don't need a license because Uncle Sam will never catch up to them or or they don't need to know because they you know, they think that they're 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 just above the law that could tell you how they think about you. You know, if they're not telling the state the whole truth or if they're not being licensed like they know they should be and they know kind of how to get around things. They might know how to get around you or they might know how to like, you know, take advantage of you as well. So, you know, I guess I wanted to say that about licensing. I agree with you a ton, Mike, on you said the no upfront money. If they can't front for themselves for one week. Yeah, they got bigger problems and talk with the talk with the crew. I've talked to a couple crews where the where the guy wasn't paying them. The contractor wasn't paying the crew and they were getting pissed and I I had no idea and I'm paying the guy. So it just, all of that stuff happens. Robin, I love the, uh, what you mentioned before about get that in text or get it, you know, in a, in a, some sort of written, um, and it doesn't have to be written. The text message is perfect. That will definitely hold up in court. Um, following simple directions. You mentioned that if they can't follow simple directions, like we got bigger plans then you can't, you know, then just fixing my home. So everything you mentioned is so good. Uh, pictures of the license, actually taking pictures of the license and business card. The more weight that you can put into your corner of taking pictures of everything they have, you know, making sure they call you every day, keeping them on a short leash. The more if they complain to you or they're, you know, that's that's not good. I mean, you're paying them money. They should be wanting to make you happy um, or at least, you know, placating you and not, you know, yelling at you or anything like that i mean that would just be crazy so be be slow to hire people be slow to hire people quick to fire people i think that's right. a good way you don't to want say. to always assume that you know you're going to end up going to court but it's not a bad idea just to keep it in the back mm-hmm. of your mind for your own protection and that's just as, as investors and what we spend in our time and money to do it it's it's just best to keep your awareness heightened because it's going to protect you. And if the job goes great and smoothly and there's no issues, that that's great. But always always be aware and do your homework and, and document everything because it's uh, going to better you in the long run. Oh, absolutely. And it's your – I mean, think about it. They can put a judgment on your mobile home super easy. They can do it like that. So they know how to do that. We can't get a judgment on them nearly as quickly. Or, they, you know, they can put a lien on our mobile home. And they know where to find us. They know where to find our mobile home. We don't necessarily know where to find them, where they live at, where their business is. So, you know, really, before you start giving out thousands of dollars, make sure that they're the real deal and, you know, they put up some work first. The uh, if there's nothing else with handyman and I, they're probably is definitely we're just not talking about it. Um, let's definitely move along to the next do or don't. Okay, yeah. Um, one of them is I would recommend when you're first starting out to really just start with one to two minimal rehab homes um, instead of more than that. Even if you have the money in the bank. Um, just to have a, a buffer of someone to remind you that one or two is enough the first couple of transactions because when you're starting out and you're naive and you're excited and let's just say you have 15 grand in the bank um, it's really easy like we did <laughs> to find six of them in within a two-month period now granted Three of those were free, but they weren't free in the long run. Um, Because when you're first learning, the learning curves on just one home is huge. And then you're going to multiply that times however other many ones that you have that all come with different issues. And unless you're a person who doesn't have a job and have a ton of time and money on your hand and 
and wants to be crazy for a couple of months, <laughs> one to two homes at a time is manageable, it's doable, it's smart, and it allows you to enjoy the experience of learning this industry, which is really fun and exciting, um, without getting stressed out. Yeah, and um, and I'll give you an example. Our, our uh, I think it was our third or fourth one that we bought, which was a 3-2 in a park, minimal damage, maybe max less than $1,000. It was so effortless and so easy. Mike and I walked away going, oh, my God, this is what John's talking about. Oh, my God, this is... Uh, wow, look, we don't have to put anything to it. Wow, this is so easy. Is this what it's supposed to be like? And that was so true. And if we didn't have the other five that were driving us crazy, I know for a fact that our one that was really easy would have sold faster than within two months. But our time and energy was so invested in these others that we couldn't market this easy one the way that we could or should have. So it took us two months to sell. And we made a great profit. It was cookie book, cookie cutter book, like you said. And that's when, you know, we both looked at each other and said, okay, this is how it should be. Like, this is the norm here. And so it wasn't, we, we couldn't appreciate that until we had to go through all the other drama and now we can. And so the value in it is so much more. You have a lot more perspective now as well. Yes. Of, yeah. Of your market of what, yeah. Of, of what is, of what can be uh, good and bad. Now uh, just kind of a recap, all of these, all six of these so far um, have been profitable or did you, one of them, you lost money on or no one of them. And I am going to say this out loud for everybody in case it happens to you, you won't feel bad. <laughs> one of them, we lost $1,500 on, and that doesn't sound like very much, but we put $21,000 into this home. We went through four or five contractors two that stole money from us. And by the grace of God, we got a cash buyer that, paid for all of that minus the 1500. Um, and that was, we learned probably every lesson that you could learn on that home. And that home was a free three, two in a park. What is it now looking back now looking back to say, yeah, what is it now that if you see that same deal, you would turn around? Was it the area? Was it the time of the year? Was it like all of the repairs? This one needed repairs plus way more. I mean, what exactly? Or was it was it way too small? Is that why people, you know, or what was the, yeah. Why would you not do this one again um, just by looking at it? So actually I would do this one again. I think, oh. yeah, I think where we got suckered are where the contractors. We had so many contractors involved. It cost us the time and money of, going through as many people as we did, but the, the repairs to the home really wouldn't have been more than, say, 10000 um, but it was just the number of contractors and, and not managing time and money correctly. Everybody had their hand in it, and we had three contractors walk off, okay, on this particular home. It, it was like there was a curse on it or something. Um and yes, it needed some major restructuring on the walls and the and the flooring. So the home itself, it it was a mess, but it wasn't not doable. The people that got involved, our nativity, our our urgency to get it done because the buyer was waiting to move in. So we didn't really have many choices on who we brought in to help us. And every time we brought in a new person, they gave us a full bid. Um, and every time somebody walked off, they walked off with our money that, you know, we had planned for the bid. And so, um, it was, it was the most, um, stressful home that we worked on, but, uh, and I would never tell somebody to jump into something like that as their first home only because the learning curve is huge. And if you don't know, 
that certain flooring doesn't work well in mobile homes and your contractor doesn't know that or doesn't care, that's going to cost you money. And so, um, so it wasn't necessarily the home itself. It was us not knowing enough and then getting taken advantage of because we didn't know enough. With all of the contractors and handymen you've gone through at this point, do you feel like you have a, and you might still be just, you know, you don't trust, you know, well, time will tell, that might be your answer, but do you feel like you have someone or a couple people that you can now fall back on or some handymen and contractors that you can rely, rely on? Yes, we have one or two that seem to be reliable, um, and we have one or two that we would trust a whole rehab job to, and then one or two that we would trust maybe building a porch or just skirting. And so we we kind of have different levels of people now in our Rolodex that um, that we know who to go to. That I like that. That's that's pretty standard around the the country. People will. I mean, they might say that they can do everything, but, you know, people are better painters or like putting on skirting or, you know, versus actually doing some drywall or some flooring or some plumbing work. So, yeah, people do have uh, their strengths and weaknesses. And, and that should cost. I mean, if you're going to do, you know, skilled labor is more expensive a little bit than just general demo stuff. Yeah, I'll tell you one thing that was very valuable in that lesson where we lost all that money. I was on the premise every day working with every single contractor. I know how to put trim up. I know how to caulk. I know how to plump. I know how to, no. to put tactile bar for carpet. And that was so incredibly valuable now because when, when somebody tells me now, oh, it'll cost this or, oh, it'll take me that, I can seriously look at them and say, no, it won't. You know, and being a, a girl, they think, I don't know what I'm talking about, but that money oh, yeah. at home was one of the most expensive lessons and class, classroom experiences that I had, but it, it was really valuable and abundant and information that will save me a lot of money in the long run too, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not, it's, it's not like it's a one-time thing. I mean, these, these repairs that you've been seeing, they're sort of similar in a lot of mobile homes. Yeah. You know, the, the wear and tear is sort of similar when water gets into these homes that cause you know causes the same problem yeah so it's the same problems usually on a lot of homes but um well done i mean even your attitude i love the fact that you both have each other to lean on when one of you's feeling down the other one can you know pick your the other one up and you know just chugging along and not making excuses not being a victim although these you know all these assholes took advantage of you both um you're not uh you know you're not victims or not you know going and doing something else like that's yeah anyway picking yourself back up and i just wanted to make a mention of that that's huge it's so important when you know as a couple we're working together we we have a, a goal and we have a dream in our life and it's always important to remind yourself why you're doing this you know and for us it's about getting out of the rat race and and dropping our normal jobs and or just doing it part-time but remind yourself what you're going through, why you're doing it, because it, it, it gives you that other boost of energy of like, you know what? Yeah, I did this for a reason. I still have my goals and dreams. I'm not going to let this get me down. It's still possible. It's still doable. So just make it happen, you know, and, and believe in yourself. So stay positive and you're going to succeed. But, but the education is well worth it. Um, well, it's not $20,000 worth it, but, uh, you know, it's, really, it's still worth going through the ups and downs because you find out who you are, what you can accomplish, and that just makes you a better person, a better investor, and you're more um, – you're just a stronger person as an investor. You two are not going anywhere. Like this is – you've made a name for yourself already. You've done this. And, and, and all the people that you've helped, I mean, the managers are happy with you, correct? The sell the buyers are happy. Yeah, absolutely. We um, have had a few referrals from our buyers already to put other people in homes. We're constantly getting um, leads from the managers and increases in incentives because they like our work. So, oh, yeah. So that's oh, very nice. So, and is that because you've you've moved a couple homes, right? Into parks. Yeah, we have, and that kind of leads into another do or don't that we love. <laughs> I understand now um, why you you stress 
having your first deals be homes that are already in parks. And so as a newbie, you know, I think, okay, well, I can, I can see that, but I really don't know why you said that until we moved to homes into parks. And some of the reasons why um, buying inside a park your first couple of times versus moving in is a better re- is a better idea is because I didn't can I didn't really understand or consider when you move in you have to skirt it you know which you're talking about labor and material you're not just you know talking about one or the other and that can be up to a thousand dollars you have to um, build porches on it because a lot of the cities have permits where you have to build porches that can be anywhere between five to seven hundred dollars uh, labor and material for each porch. And so you don't realize that if it has three doors, it's going to take three porches, <laughs> you know? And so just when I was about to have a breather on one of my homes, I realized I didn't have any porches up. Like, how are they going to get in the house? I was just using a step ladder, and I didn't know how to provide that. <laughs> and so, you know, that was a good $1,500 um, to $2,000 that I didn't um, account for. Uh, the permits that go in for moving, every city's different, and you think that your mover is going to take care of everything that he says he's going to take care of, but the city requires other permits and sometimes licensed contractors to do any kind of work, um, and they're watching you, you know. And then another thing that I didn't realize is when a lot of these homes are moved, the mover just come come in and slice the electrical lines and the plumbing and or the plumbing is that old PVC pipe, which cracks when you move it. So then you're looking at replacing all of the underneath plumbing that was working when it was on the property you took it from, but is now cracked and not working when you move it into the park. And so I didn't account for all those additional costs um, on the two homes I moved in. And in the long run, that that cost me a ton of money in rehab that when I bought one home, I bought that one one for $750. We ended up putting a crazy amount, like $12,000 into it because of all of this, which if I would have known that, then I could have gone, oh, yeah, that's why we don't want to you know, move a home in our first one. But I didn't know that. And so those are the little things that, as well as you do, John, and, and having that those modules and, and teaching and, and stressing why you do versus you don't, that sometimes those things get overlooked and you don't realize that it's part of the process that you need to really understand when you're new as to why you're saying don't do it this way or do it that way. That's a great point. And you mentioned the um, skirting even. A lot of times they won't bring the skirting or it won't match up because they're going to let, you know, it's going to be at a different height. So you got to buy all new skirting and then have yeah. that put on as well. Right. Um, all, all of those which can be accounted for, um, you know, if you'd ask the, or, you know, if, if yeah, we ask the park manager, you know, what do you require, the deck or the skirting or a shed or a carport or a garage? I think eventually you will you will move a home. I mean, why wouldn't you? Homes have to be moved all the time. Yeah. So it's like, of course, you're going to eventually do one. But maybe for your first or second or third deal, you go with the path of least resistance, which is probably not a home that has to be moved. Right, because... Um... Like for us, we were marketing these homes for sale before they were moved in. And so, you know, trying to get buyers lined up. And so we had to have a pre-existing price in mind um, for these homes. And it, it didn't really allow us to make a good business assessment of whether or not these homes were going to bring us the money we wanted after all these hidden expenses showed up after we had kind of pre-sold it. Um, and so even though in my head, I'll give you an example of that one one, we paid 750 for it. But by the time we moved it and had to deal with electric plumbing and all that, we were into it for like 12 or $14,000. And so as a one one, we can only sell it for a certain amount. We sold it for sixteen nine. Okay, so you think, oh, well, you only made two twenty five hundred on it or something. No, we actually, after 
you know, all the payments and whatever, we'll actually make um, a close to 15000 on it, and we're going to cash flow 297 a month. But that's going to take a long time to do it now. So looking back, if I were to have a different choice in the matter, um, I wouldn't have moved it in knowing that I had to put all that expense in it um, because of the headache. Not necessarily because we didn't make good money on it, but because of the headache. Because when I look at my 3-2 that we bought in the in the park and what we're making on it, it's the same. And I didn't have a headache. <laughs> so, did <laughs> did either of those parks pay pay for the move? Yeah, um, they all pay for the move, but we only gave us two thousand dollars, which really only covered um, the move itself. Now, because they like our work, they're giving us up to a $5,000 move-in incentive, which, you know, Mike and I will do that all day long, maybe now. Um, but I thought 2000 was great in the beginning, and now I'm realizing, no way, it costs a minimum of, of three three to 4000 minimum. Um, and so I'm more savvy about that now, whereas... Before, if you just told somebody, yeah, don't don't move once into parks your first few deals because <laughs> the the added expense, like, what does that mean? Like, I didn't really understand what that meant. Now I understand what that meant because now it's going to take a longer return to get my money back, you know, because I wasn't accounting for that. Great job clearing clearing that up as well. Out of curiosity, was it difficult finding a mover, or did you just was that pretty easy? Oh no, that, the, park? the the movers are kind of a dime a dozen, and they're all around the same price range, and so um, that was probably one of the least problems that we had with finding a mover. If anything, was just their availability and how soon they could move it. Okay, agreed. Depending on the area of the country, I very much agreed. Uh, in some areas, though, you're it's hard pressed to find a mover. Actually, it's kind of weird, um, but they're everywhere. That's really helpful that we found is uh, if you go to the new mobile home sales like Titan or Clayton, they have um, mobile home movers, and they can give you good referrals um, that are local Great, and that do it. So. Great tip. And, and referrals, like you mentioned, because they're obviously moving homes. They, you know, they know who does work, mm -hmm. who, shows up, who shows up sober. Right. <laughs> awesome. So this is, so we've uh, talked about a number of them. Are there um, any more do's and don'ts? Yeah, let me uh, look at this really quick. Um, one of them, a definite do, is the value in keeping good paperwork and accounting so that you can really see your profit and loss numbers. Oftentimes you're so busy or lazy or you're working another job that you don't really um, take good notes or keep your receipts or have a, we have an expense paper that every expense we did on a certain home, we write it down. So at the end of the deal, you can really see the numbers you're working with and have them be as true as possible. Um, because if you don't do that, it's really hard to rely on your memory, and it's hard to, to go back and, and really keep each home in order, especially like we did six all at once. If we wouldn't have had good paperwork, I wouldn't have known which Home Depot receipt went to, went to which home, and I wouldn't have been able to know our, our profit and loss. Um, one last one that I, I think would be important to mention would be um, to definitely communicate with your buyers and your sellers and be very specific and very simplistic in what you tell them. Um, you know, you want to make sure that they understand the difference between them buying a home versus rent renting it and that you're the bank, you're not necessarily their landlord, um, and that what responsibilities fall upon them versus what falls upon you, especially in that first 60-day time period. Because because we did so many in such a short amount of time, I started having PTSD every time I got a text message from one of my buyers in my homes because 
um, I didn't want to hear that there were black beetles flying into their homes because everybody else has them flying into their homes in the season. Or, you know, that why is why are they damp mopping their tile and their tiles staying wet? Like they don't realize that you don't, you're, you're not responsible for fixing or teaching them how to be a homeowner. Um, so I always tell them, pretend I'm Wells Fargo. You know, you wouldn't call Wells Fargo if, um, if you had a small problem, you know, like your light bulb's flickering. Uh, and, and they kind of just look at you and go, oh, oh, you're right. I wouldn't call Wells Fargo. <laughs> and so one of the things that I've learned is that we're putting together a 60-day information sheet so after 60 days we're putting some names of um, handymans and referrals the name and number of the park exactly how much their payment is and from that day forward what their responsibilities are as a homeowner versus um, maybe what they used to be as a renter and what our responsibilities are so because they really don't know and I want them to be as educated as possible but truly I just don't want a headache anymore (laughs) Are you from day one, you know, this, uh, you're adamant on, you know, your hands free. You don't touch the home. Right. So at closing, I'm, I was so focused on making sure I had the right forms and the paperwork and, and that I wanted the deal to go through that I did not stress um, what their responsibility is versus mine. But I will do that now because um, it's so important to empower them from the very beginning um, that I was more focused on me just getting a successful deal because what happened is the headache came later and um, I tend to be a people pleaser and I'm a go-getter and if you can't fix it, I'll figure out how to fix it. And that wasn't really to my benefit because I really needed them to step up and, and do what they need to do as homeowners as well so I don't have to babysit. And so um, in up until the 60-day mark, I would bend over backwards. Now I'm I we've almost reached our <laughs> six, 60-day marks, which we're excited, and I can't wait to get <laughs> that paper out because now I'm going to be more stern and say, you know, you're kind of on your own from this day forward, except for, you know, if you can't pay or or things like that. So looking back, I was, I did not incorporate that into the closing. Now I will, because I see the value in it and it's less work for me in the long run. Um, And then I'll follow up with a 60 day reminder to, to just um, solidify what's their responsibility and what's ours. Excellent. The do you feel that you're um, too friendly with your tenant buyers at all? Or you're... Yeah, I'm. I'm overly friendly because I'm a licensed counselor, and so I value the relationship more than I value anything, and it goes a long way. Um, I, I'm not a confrontational person, although I learned to be with contractors. Um, <laughs> yeah, good. Uh, the nice thing about working with Mike is that if I we can play good cop, bad cop if I needed to. I can say, you know, my husband really wants you to know that this, this, and that. And it takes the heat off of me. And so I've learned how to um, to use my weakness as a strength and then to kind of pull from Mike when I can't overcome that. Whereas people who are just, they're just doing it themselves, you know, and are purely business-oriented, they may... Um, be too dry or struggle with having to carry all the burden but if if i needed to answer yes or no yes i'm probably too nice because i'm not a confrontational person one thing that's really helped me actually is text messaging because when when they're constantly you know like a little bird with their mouth open me 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 (laughs) i just send a text message and can be very curt but stern you know and just say look you know, I don't know that answer. I'm I'm the bank. Remember, I'm Wells Fargo. You'll have to do some investigation on that. And if you come, if you hit a roadblock, let me know and I'll help you. It's easier for me to send that in a text message than say it in person or via face. But that's my issue. That's my problem, not theirs. Um, but I've found a way to kind of get away, get around it, and still be assertive. 
I like that. And I think that's in the middle. You, what you said is great because it pushes it on them. You're still here if you need me as a plan, you know, Z. But, you know, I'll, but, but yeah, try to try to figure it out yourself. Um, yeah, well said. Um, that was excellent. Thank you so much for being on this podcast. Uh, we could still talk for another hour about about just so many different things. Um, thank you again for being here. I'd love to do one of these, uh, you know, in another six months when you have a whole nother slew of experiences. The ideas and advice given in today's episode are for entertainment purposes only. If you have future ideas or questions for upcoming episodes, please email us at support at mobilehomeinvesting.net. If you've enjoyed this podcast episode, the biggest compliment you can give is to like and share this podcast with your friends. 